This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 375 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 2-0 win against Union Berlin, the most deserved relegation in Bundesliga history and we will preview Saturday's game against VfL Wolfsburg, which is a must win for Dortmund if they want to retain any chance for Champions League football next season. For all that and more joins me, uh, hopefully very ranty Matthias Zug today. <laughs> rants were demanded uh, and rants were promised. So, uh, yes. Matthias, uh, how are you doing? I, I'm doing well. Uh, it's extraordinarily chaotic today here at my house because I'm getting a new uh, exterior put on the house. So, yeah, good times. All my windows are taped shut. So, theoretically, it's very well soundproofed or we're <laughs> all just going to die inside here. So, we'll see. We'll see if I'm on the yellow wall next week. Well, yeah, uh, at, at least it's well insulated. So um, there you go. Uh, yeah, where, where where to begin, Matthias? Um, Dortmund really needed this win against Union Berlin. Um, obviously, a team that did not have as many losses as Dortmund thus far. Uh, now Berlin have seven, Dortmund still have ten. Um, yeah, but in order to keep... Uh, up with Frankfurt and Wolfsburg, uh, who both also won their midweek game. Frankfurt, I think it was a 2-0 win against Augsburg. Not the most glorious, but uh, I think Augsburg missed a penalty and uh, hit the post. And uh, Wolfsburg, they did win 3-1 against Stuttgart or something like that. I think there was a late Castro goal or something like that. But uh, uh, all in all, uh, Wolfsburg were not really uh, troubled by VfB. So, with all that being said, Matthias, um, I wasn't sure whether Dortmund would uh, have the uh, form to uh, not make too many mistakes against Berlin, because I think Union is a team that um, is well-organized, but uh, on their own don't always create too many things. So, if you concede errors, or, or commit errors, rather, uh, that's when they punish you. However... Apart from the opening two minutes, I don't uh, remember too many uh, cock-ups by the Black and Yellows. Uh, what was uh, your uh, thoughts and takeaways from, from this uh, opening uh, crescendo? Well, I mean, it crescendoed against the bar pretty early. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I haven't, hadn't even really focused on the game yet uh, at that point. And, whoa, and just hearing... Hearing Stefan Freund on the commentary, like, oh crap. <laughs> I was like, what, what, what just happened? Um, Emre Jan happened. <laughs> Emre Jan happened really early, but then he settled after that. Um, I think he's, uh, Emre Jan is dealing with, uh, rightfully so. He's, he's got a few self confidence issues, which is really weird to say about a, a player that plays like him, but he's been a little bit rattled by a few mistakes over the last, uh, several weeks. 
And then you get some insecurities and that can happen. Um, you know, it's, it, it is what it is. Even someone as veteran and as seemingly unflappable as Mats Hummels occasionally makes a mistake like that. It's just Emre Can has made a few of them now in successive key matches. This time it didn't hurt Dortmund. Um, aside from that, and, you know, a few good passes from Union Berlin pushing Dortmund occasionally. And then obviously Max Kruse's shot that uh, Marvin Hitz deflected onto the post. Uh, Union Berlin really didn't offer too much. Uh, Dortmund looked fairly comfortable after a while in possession. Uh, obviously, once Dahoud and Sancho were on the pitch, it was game over. I mean, Dortmund just dominated. They they showed that they are that much better, which shows how key Jaden Sancho is and Mahmoud Dahoud. Um, overall, I would say as a quick summary, Dortmund absolutely deserved to win this match. They were significantly better. And it was probably the worst match Elling Haaland has ever played in front of goal. I mean, Dortmund had 20 shots. He had six of them which is usually he has like two or three and scores two goals <laughs> from two or three shots. And you could just tell he was very upset with himself. I mean, he just, he was, the body language was, he was pissed. And that's a little bit different than dejected. So I, I want to make that clear. Um, so despite him being off, let's put it that way, uh, Dortmund, after a while, seemingly just cruised. It was very professional. It was, I think I called it an Arbeitssieg, which it always is against Union Berlin because they make you earn it uh, to their credit. Well-organized, very disciplined, very tough. Not dirty, but very tough. And uh, beating Union Berlin uh, isn't natural for Dortmund <laughs> in the Bundesliga. I mean, it's 50-50 at this point. Uh, they win at home and lose in Berlin, but uh, I would, I'm very happy Dortmund won and they won the way they did and they kind of had to really work for it and never gave up. It was good to see and it was uh, a good way to get into this last key stretch of matches. Yeah, uh, see, as Dortmund are now running the table, uh, I'm very glad that Tessic finally uh, has unveiled Dortmund's secret weapon and uh, he's rested him for quite a while, but now he's starting Lukas Piszczek. Uh, back in the starting lineup, I think that was uh, only his second Bundesliga start. Uh, I think his fifth overall uh, in in all competitions this season. And uh, I must say, he played really well. Um, did not look uh, old at all. Um, I mean, Moray in the recent past made a few many mistakes against Bremen again. I think the offside trap, and I think. Uh, Tessic did also explain that he wanted someone who uh, can head the ball <laughs> a little bit better. And uh, yeah, Lukas Piszczek obviously is uh, uh, by no means a terrible player. And um, considering that uh, Union, Berlin, Union Berlin have a lot of features and qualities, I don't think they're the paciest team. So um, if you go up against, I don't know, either Kruse or Endo or... Uh, Prömel, if, if he goes forward, although, although I think this time he played a bit more as a right back, so basically the opposite opposite side of uh, the field from Pischek. But uh, you know, um, yeah, I think Ingvartsen is also in in that mix of uh, of players that Pischek can go up against. Um, yeah, I wasn't too concerned to be honest uh, with with uh, Pischek's uh, arguable lack of pace that he has. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 
to to me right now in in sort of the crunch time of the season it's important that you minimize errors and uh Moret has been a source for errors and Meunier sadly as well so um I right now would not necessarily start uh, Meunier I also would not necessarily start John to be honest because he had a couple too many uh, mistakes I don't know how the lineup would have changed if Delaney was fit because I think the hoot needed a break so um I can I can see where Tessic was coming from, but uh, yeah, the addition of of Pischek, uh really helped solidify uh, this team. And obviously, Giorena right now has a good stretch of form, even if it's maybe just a couple of days. I don't know, but uh, he's clicking a little bit better, and that is very positive to see. And of course, Marco Royce, I think had another really fantastic game. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 good to see that uh, some players are hitting. A solid level of form right now when it's absolutely needed i mean maybe it's already too late too little too late but uh, we still have a couple of chances um if we i think win all four games then uh, dortmund might qualify but uh, that sort of depends on how Wolfsburg are playing against leipzig for example and then of course dortmund have to beat leipzig themselves so many things to contemplate but in the meantime there was some controversy because of uh, the way Marco Royce did win the penalty, his uh, trailing leg somewhat caressed the ribcage of uh, Andreas Lute. Matthias, um, how do you judge this penalty call? I'm fine with it. Because at the end of the day, Lute did the thing he shouldn't have done. He committed. He committed low. He committed towards Marco Royce's legs. And uh, the momentum of Marco Royce also going away from goal is what makes it honestly dumb that the keeper made that um, call and that forced the referee's hand. I, I'm not, yes, I've seen the comments that it's a clear dive. I'm sorry, it's not a clear dive. It was definitely Marco Royce looking for the penalties, no doubt about that. Could he have kept on running? Probably, but given where the ball, he tipped the ball past Luta to a point where it was harder for him to get to, he made the intelligent play and forced the referee to make a call. Now, we've seen blatant dives where there's no contact whatsoever, and that is not what the situation is. Given also some of the um, penalties that have been called against Dortmund, thinking Manchester City, uh, in particular with Emre Can, where it was significantly more debatable. I'm fine with this. It's kind of one of those, what goes around comes around at some point. Dortmund are going to play against Bayern, and Bayern are going to get a penalty against Dortmund. That's clearly not one. So it's just, I'm fine with it. That's what happens. It got reviewed quite an extensive period of time and looked at very closely, and they obviously couldn't tell enough intent of one over the other. And at the end of the day, it doesn't change the fact that Luta committed to going down to Marco Royce's feet. And if you do that as a keeper and you don't get the ball, odds are you're somehow going to get the guy. And there was contact, so I can see why it was given. If it wouldn't have been given, I wouldn't have freaked out over it. Uh, it would have been annoying given some of the penalties and calls Dalton has gotten against it in recent, week, them in recent weeks. But... Yeah, it, to me, it's not a clear dive. It, it's definitely a player, a veteran, intelligent, attacking player, looking for the contact and a keeper unintelligently offering it to him on a silver platter. 
Yeah, also we're at the stage of the season where I don't even care anymore. You know, you need to get results and if this is the way and mean you you, you get a penalty, fair enough. And I think if you, um, you know, get, go by the VAR guidelines, I don't think there would have been enough uh, to overturn it to a no call just because it's not an uh, uh, obvious error in, in my view. Um, I can understand that Union Berlin fans might uh, see it a bit differently, but... Uh, yeah, I can I can live with it as well, and I still don't I don't know if 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 it's a, a real dive because you know he he, uh, he still was brought down by Luther even though he had the little um, yeah it's it's a bit of a of a moral gray area let's put it this way um, but uh, you know Stefan the one thing that bothers me about this whole conversation is for weeks months maybe even years. I have heard experts on other podcasts and TV and written words say Dortmund aren't dirty enough. Like they don't do, they don't commit enough tactical fouls to stop opposition movement, which is true. Um, which is absolutely correct. I prefer, but then they do. Marco Royce does something like that, and they and there's criticism for that. I'm like, I'm sorry, this to me is less annoying than tactical fouls. I get the point for tactical fouls. I find it very unsportsmanlike, extremely unsportsmanlike. This I don't categorize as such. So you can't say don't want aren't cunning enough <laughs> and then criticize them for doing something cunning. It just and the other thing is I watch a lot of South American football. This wouldn't even be a discussion. I'm sorry. It just wouldn't because it's just it's it's what you expect from your attacking player in that situation. It wasn't a dive. It wasn't a cheat. I've seen people say, oh, he did his best. I and Robin interpretation. Please don't don't even insult me with that bullshit. Yeah, seriously. that's not that's that's not even comparable at all. So just stop it now. Either you want don't want to be cunning or you don't. You can't have both. Yeah, well, the good thing is that Mark Royce then also converted said penalty because Haaland sort of had a double miss. And uh, if I recall correctly, uh, Royce didn't really shoot the ball in the net. He sort of more blocked it into the net uh, as uh, the defender. I don't remember who it was or, uh, um, yeah, just uh, tried, tried to clear the ball out of the uh, or, or away from the line because I think the, uh, the, the Haaland rebound was still goal bound but uh, just not quick enough uh, to go in by itself but uh, yeah little luck was in there um, the penalty was not as well taken as the one against Bremen by Haaland um, which is a bit of a shame because uh, I, th I think he can do better in, in that case and uh, yeah Haaland I think on a good day he arguably has a hat trick or maybe even four goals um, but uh, it was not a good day um, right now I think uh there, there are certain uh, questions around Haaland. First of all, uh, does the uh, you know merry-go-round by his uh, dad and his agent uh, sort of affect him, or uh, maybe the uh, decision by Dortmund, which I think Zorg made pretty clear, um, but I didn't see the internet, uh, the uh, the uh, the interview by myself because uh, it was on Sky and I don't have Sky. Um, but I think Sorg said that uh, whatever happens wherever Dortmund finish in the league table, that Haaland will play for Dortmund next season. And maybe uh, that's not in the uh, Haaland sort of plan and maybe that affects him. Uh, I don't know. And maybe this fatigue because he has to play a lot because Dortmund do not have uh, 
real other alternatives right now. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I really hope uh, he snaps out of it. Uh, the uh, brace against Bremen was uh, very welcome. So uh, very glad with that. And Matthias, um, now uh, the good news is that Dortmund did find a second goal. But in the meantime, I think you have to once again praise Marvin Hitz for that spectacular save uh, on uh, Max Kruse because uh, I didn't even know that he got to the ball b un until I saw the replay. Yeah, no, he did an excellent job. He got over there. He actually showed some form of vertical leap, uh, which is kind of a criti criticism I have of him because uh, he's not an overly athletic keeper. And he doesn't like when he is athletic, it doesn't really look graceful <laughs> in that <laughs> sense. But he did a great job. Um, I believe that was the only shot on target was that one. Um, because it and the only one that he actually had to save. I mean, think about that. In the entire match, that was the only real one that uh, Marvin Hitz had to save uh, of the five shots that Union Berlin uh, got. But it was critical because Union Berlin, it, it would have been a stolen point, uh, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I, I hate losing points in general to teams that really don't do much aside from the occasional set piece where they they don't get lucky with the goal on the set piece because it's obviously skill and training but they're lucky that they're in that position to have that set piece and that's why I was really happy to see it also because I'm not a Max Kuse fan I just I find him unlikable personally I don't care for him much as a as a human being <laughs> from, from uh, everything he does and says, it's just, you know, it's, it's like um, Sandro Wagner type per player and person for me, where I'm kind of like, I can do without him. Uh, he has an odd cult following, which I just don't get. I don't, he's to me, he's not likable. Uh, he's a borderline lazy player on the pitch, in my opinion, but he obviously is talented um, and who knows if he would have had a different mental attitude who he could have been in his career. But uh, I'm glad that Marvin Hitz denied him the satisfaction of scoring that goal because he wouldn't have deserved it because he really did nothing the entire match, in my opinion. Ingvatsen was probably the best attacking player for Union Berlin on the day. And yeah, I'm, I've been critical of Hitz. I'm still critical of him. I think Bukki is a significantly better keeper, but Hitz did a great job in that instance. Yeah, uh, Bukki wasn't even a squat uh, because I think he had a cold. So um, Yes, the longest lasting cold in German history. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, I, I I think the, the real changer and the key moment in this game, apart of obviously from the uh, penalty goal in the 27th minute uh, which sort of put Dortmund on track to win this game and uh, also did put Dortmund more in control um, I think that was uh, significant that when Dortmund had the lead that they knew how to um, yeah, play with the ball I mean in the in the second half there were minutes uh, where Berlin had a couple of pressure phases where Dortmund just were sloppy on, on the ball and gave it away quickly either due to mistakes or trying to rush a, a counter-attack sometimes a little bit too fast. Um, but obviously in the uh, 59th minute, so around the 60-minute mark, uh, we had finally the reintroduction of Jane Sancho, his 100th Bundesliga game. And uh, 
boy did Dortmund miss him <laughs> uh, it's obviously lucky that uh, in the half hour uh, Sancho looked like he was never gone uh, right back in form obviously that often happens that players return from injury and look uh, superb right away but then the next couple of games uh, there's more of a dip again um, but nevertheless Matthias uh, the energy of this entire team shifted including the one of Erling Haaland uh, how, how did you see the uh, reintroduction by, by Sancho? Was he even hurt? Like for real? That's ins it was insane I was watching him like It's like he never missed a beat from his, I mean, he came on and boom, top form Sancho. Like it, it, it didn't even take him 10 seconds. The counterattacks were fluid. The, his movement on and off the ball with the ball, his passing was incredible. And that's really a point of his game that I feel like he needed to work on the most was in movement, in transition, playing a ball in a perfect lane. That's not, you know, that's a playmaker attribute that Jaden Sancho occasionally would have, but too often in a, you know, in transition, he would then stop the ball, cut back and slow everything down. He didn't do that. And some of those passes he played, I could, the one I'm thinking of right now on top of my head is the one to Holland, uh, where he played it and Holland had to run onto it. And then unfortunately the angle was really tight for Holland. That was kind of one of those misses where I'm like, ah, eh, You know, that's that's a really hard one, given how he had to wrap his foot around the ball to even try to get it on target. Um, the vision, and he's obviously rested, which you could see. And to bring someone on, like Jaden Sancho, in the last 30 minutes of a game like this, versus a team like Union Berlin, I mean, that's that's cheat mode. You know, in that sense, it's just not fair for a team like Union Berlin because Jaden Sancho is a world-class player when he plays at this level. He absolutely is. And what he can do to elevate Dortmund's game is fantastic. And it also reduces the pressure on Marco Reus to have to do so much. It reduces the pressure on players that are still trying to regain some form, you know, like Torgan Azad or Julian Brandt or Gio Reyna. And it spreads it out a little bit more in the sense of you know this guy can do it and he has such an incredibly good understanding with Marco Reus and Erling Haaland in attack it's that the automatismen that you always uh, applaud that they just have they have this knowledge of where everyone where they are on the pitch that the other players just don't have not to their fault but they just don't. And those three simply do. And it was literally a breath of fresh air. Yeah, so it was like a triple substitution. Uh, granted, Dahoud came on for Amre Can, but there was another player that came on. And it was Rafael Guerrero uh, with Jane Sancho. I think if you talk about automatism, uh, uh, if someone's eyes really lit up, then it were, it were Guerrero's eyes, to be honest, because uh, he he also felt like an entirely different player. Um, and uh, it's it's quite amazing how much uh, Sancho can get out of Guerrero because there is so much trust between those two players. Um, they sort of have a really uh, good understanding for each other. And uh, um, yeah, Guerrero is less afraid uh going forward and uh, does stuff, I don't know, it's like he, he gains some self-confidence as well 
And <laughs> we all know how great Guerrero can be, but uh, there, there was sort of a stint where he wasn't really uh, at his best. But uh, if once uh, you plugged in Sancho, I think Guerrero really uh, started to to gel. Uh, and yeah, it's 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 something to behold. And uh, obviously, you would wish that Guerrero would play the way he plays, regardless of who he's partnered with. But uh, if you are playing with Jane Sancho and to play of this quality, obviously he will make you look better. Um, that's just natural. So yeah, just wanted just wanted to mention that. And obviously it was then Guerrero who uh, finally killed off this game in the 88th minute. Uh, <laughs> Union Berlin had a corner and I uh, predicted the uh, equalizer on Twitter. But obviously as per usual, I was wrong and... Uh, Union Berlin sort of passed the ball in their uh, final desperate attempts to still maybe find a goal and find a cross into the box, uh, pass it to Jaden Sancho, and then we had a very quick transition uh, over Sancho to Brandt and then Guerrero. Uh, and obviously, I would be remiss if I wouldn't uh, mention the uh, statistics that uh, Adam Dorowski has posted on Twitter, because it was Jaden Sancho's 100th Bundesliga game and uh, he also counts hockey style scoring and in that regard uh, we total 117 contributions uh, 36 goals 49 first assists 32 second assists which uh, makes 81 total assists and if you combine that with the goals it's uh, it, it comes to 117 points so Matthias uh <laughs> Obviously, if you, if you just count the traditional scoring, it's 36 goals and 43 assists. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's just tremendous. And I don't know how much more games we will see with Jane Sancho in a Dortmund shirt because, uh, you know, there are not many games left in this season, just four Bundesliga games and maybe two cup games. And uh, he might leave this summer. But uh, yeah, if, if you think about that Sancho, uh, you know, developed in Dortmund and uh, steadily uh, increase his performances and especially this season uh, I think reached a new level after a, a long time where he didn't reach anything really uh, what, what do you make of his Dortmund career should it end soon after 100 Bundesliga games well it's insane to me that someone his age has played 100 Bundesliga games I mean that's that's an incredible achievement uh, in unto itself. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of his dips in form, which every player goes through. Uh, obviously, some of his uh, misjudgments off the pitch, which I feel like he has learned from and matured. And what I feel this season, beyond any of the other seasons, and maybe it's because in his head... He's, he knows this is his last season as a Borussia Dortmund player. He seems to really care a lot about Borussia Dortmund. He, he has embraced it. He identifies with it. He is a Dortmunder now. I mean, this is the club where he has spent most of his professional career. It's all of his professional career, you know, not counting any youth time where he, uh, you know, spent at Manchester City or whatever. This is his club. This is the club that brought him out of youth football. This is the club where he first played internationally, first at the professional level, and then also for England. Um, and and he cares. You can just tell he actually cares. And that's always one of those things when you look at young players coming from abroad, it's hard for them to connect with a club that's not 
from their home, not, not their language. I mean, Usman Dembele, I don't think he ever really connected with Borussia Dortmund. I think Christian Pulisic probably did. I, I don't know about Gio Reyna yet at this point. I think Bellingham giving him three, four years absolutely will. And obviously Bellingham has been deprived of the yellow wall, which Jaden Sancho probably now values more that it's not there during his final season. And I'm making a huge assumption that it's his final season, obviously. Um, but that I, I feel like he's matured a lot during the course of this season on and off the pitch. And he is a near complete player. And if he does leave Borussia Dortmund after this season, he's going to bring in a lot, a lot of money because those uh, greedy Super League clubs from England uh, will definitely want to spend a lot of money on him even though they don't have the guaranteed Super League income. <laughs> I was just going to say, so only to go even further into debt, <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't know which newspaper, I think it was uh, Gazzetta della Sport, uh, but I, I might be wrong, uh, that uh, did the math and uh, came to the conclusion that I think between the 12 founding members there is around 8 billion of debt. So uh, I don't know if that's euros or dollars, but either way, these numbers are quite insane. Um I still don't know how valid they are, to be honest, but uh, yeah. Uh, well, Manchester City can clear their books at any given time. That's true. We know that. Uh, it's kind of like PSG not being part of the Super League discussion because they just don't need it. You know, I mean, forget anything anybody said. The Super League is purely about guaranteeing revenue for teams that are addicted to spending it and not know how to manage their finances. And that's why a lot of German teams really weren't interested either, because why would you as Bayern or Dortmund, especially as Bayern? There's there's literally no need. Manchester City was the one kind of in there where I also went, okay, that doesn't make sense for them because they got the cash. And that's why when I look at English teams, it you know, we talk Manchester United, we talk Liverpool when it comes to um, Jadon Sancho, but really the team that has the cash to do it is Manchester City because they can clear their books at any given time, given that they are a state-run, state-owned entity. You know what is funny? Uh, <laughs> there, there are a few clubs in in those twelve team pool that uh, doesn't really, to me, need the Super League because I I feel like they are guaranteed to play in the Champions League anyway, and I don't know if you can monetize the Super League this much better. And, uh, you know, going three and a half billion in debt uh, from the get-go, I don't know if that's uh, sustainable. I think Piquet had uh, a statement to toward that that he doesn't think it is. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you think about it, uh, for Dortmund, it actually would be helpful. Uh, and for other teams like maybe Tottenham also as well, because for them, Champions League isn't necessarily guaranteed. And then having this guaranteed revenue just from that sort of perspective uh that would actually make sense if you just you know from from a cold money perspective but uh yeah also also only if you think uh, in the very short term so matthias um i must ask since you have sympathies for inter and tottenham uh as well how uh <laughs> How how did the uh, news of the uh, Super League that was uh, breaking on uh, Sunday evening? How, what what did that do with you? Um, in a sporting sense, um, I have to say, uh, nothing has rocked me more in a sporting sense in my life than that. Uh, obviously, I wasn't around for the Bundesliga Skandal, which turned 50 years old this week, by the way. 
um, I was too young, you know, and, and like sports betting and point shaving, like, you know, I grew up in the Southeast. So, you know, like SEC point shaving, yeah, that's normal. You know, like Serie A doing point shaving, yeah, whatever. You know, if you're not, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. Um, you kind of get immune to that. But the fact that this happened and that, or that this was attempted to happen and I guarantee you it's not going to be the last time. Um, because Real Madrid, Juventus, and Barcelona, in particular, those three clubs are incredibly desperate. You can just tell how desperate they are. That Inter and Milan were part of it. Milan, the Milan's ownership is essentially because of a defaulted loan. If you think about it, uh, Richard Carmen, who does, uh, the Serie A sit down, Fantastic podcast in Serie A. I recommend everybody listen to it. He's an AC Milan fan and a Schalke fan <laughs> and a Washington football team's fan. So, you know, he's got great taste. Um, he's having a shitty year. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the way that happened, it's foreign investor from China that's into Inter Milan, even though the Chinese government basically said football investment needs to be pulled back. So there's desperation there. Um, Tottenham was the one that kind of shocked me because it's not the Glazers, you know, it's not massively indebted Spanish clubs or the corrupt Juventus ownership. And that, that really, really rocked me. I'll be honest because I watched the Southampton match yesterday and I was rooting for, for Southampton because I just don't care. It it has left me completely cold. There's a League Cup final coming up. I don't care. I mean, it's a League Cup, so who actually cares anyway? Um, and with Inter, I cared this season. Inter's going to win the Scudetto, and now I don't care. I just don't. It, like, they robbed me of that joy. They really did. And I've been a Spurs supporter for 30 years, exactly. The FA Cup winning season in 1990-91 was when I started. And Inter, I've been, I was at an Inter match before I ever went to a Dortmund match. When I, before I turned the age of three, I was at the San Siro. So Inter has been part of me for f- over 40 years. And that really deeply upset me. I felt so incredibly betrayed. And I kind of vented it on Twitter. Like, how can I go back to supporting the club? And somebody said something very insightful. They said, it's not the club, it's the ownership. And it, and that made me think about it. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm obviously not a fan of the Russian government or the Chinese government, but that doesn't mean I have an issue with the Russian people or the Chinese people. In fact, it's oftentimes it's the complete opposite, deep sympathies for them. And so the players on the pitch, this wasn't their decision. A lot of them hate the decision, hated the direction it was going. The kit man, the, the, the people working the concessions in normal years, uh, some of them who were furloughed by some of these clubs in England. Um, it's not their fault. And so I can compartmentalize the ownership from the club, but I, it's probably going to take me through this season to really digest that. And the one that really pains me is Inter because they're going to win Serie A and I can't even enjoy it. And that that's really massively disappointing. And the fact that Dortmund and Bayern said no to this. A, I'm not at all surprised at all. Um, and uh, it, it's like, no, this is this is like German football to a degree, not to sound immensely arrogant, 
is, is like the, the consciousness of what club football structure should be in Europe because of 50 plus one. And I don't know what the club structure is like in France. I don't know it well enough. I think Sweden also has a 50 plus one rule, something like that. I, I know obviously France probably mixed. Some are, some aren't, but French clubs also like there's such a, because French clubs know they're aside from PSG, occasionally Lyon, no one's really going to push too far in the champions league. So there's a purity in the sport there still um, that I feel like in, in the Bundesliga, we live through German football so deeply because of our club structure and it paint and it reminded me again, why we're so awesome <laughs> sound massively arrogant and the Bundesliga is so awesome. And some of these other cl- uh, country leagues are so deeply unhealthy, probably the worst one being the English league structure. Because owners go into the championship or League One bankrolling, hoping to hit the lottery, which is the Premier League and then the Champions League. And if it doesn't work fast enough, you have destitute clubs. I mean, just look at Sheffield Wednesday right now, the state they're in. And that can happen in Germany. It has happened. Look at 1860. But overall, it doesn't the risk isn't quite there. And there's a a connection with fans that you don't have in England. It's just not there anymore from these clubs. You're a consumer and not a fan. And in Germany that still exists. It's more eroded now than it was maybe 20 or 30 years ago, but it's still there. So that's, I guess that's less of a rant and more a therapeutic uh, uh, speech there, but that that's how that, whole thing made me feel and then when it kind of went away i was like okay now what (laughs) like i get really angry for 48 hours and and now i gotta drink a beer like what's what's up with that (laughs) Uh, so we'll see it'll take me this season to process now to be honest yeah no it's uh it's it's a really weird one also it's still sort of ongoing i think uh, barcelona just uh, released a statement on the super league i'm not entirely sure what's in it but i i think uh Barcelona sort of trying to stay in the uh, in the Super League or still trying to keep it alive, but uh, you know, Meske un club or whatever, uh, more than one club. Uh, <laughs> I I I think they they should uh, rename their uh, statement uh, into uh, more than one billion of debt <laughs> because that's uh, what's going on right now. And Barcelona are uh, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe not going to exist for for uh, some time or I don't know what will happen to this club but uh, I don't think they're guaranteed uh, to exist as the super and top club that they are right now uh, if they have to default on so many loans because you know they're just a massive debt and I don't see them making uh, uh, yeah all this revenue and maybe yeah uh, they they just to like all the other super clubs in in that league just uh, need to be financially a bit more responsible especially uh real madrid and fiorentino perez saying how uh, all these clubs uh would not survive i mean you are already sort of the richest teams in world football and if you can't handle your money who's supposed to do that um at all so um that's to me it's it's all just nonsense that's that's i think for me the most infuriating part is that um the super league is just from a PR standpoint, it's just built on lies. There's just so, so many. There's just so many lies and untruths and oh, yeah. and gaslighting. I, I have the statement from from him right now, from Laporta, who basically said, 
the European Super League is a necessity. It's absolutely necessary that the big clubs, given that we generate a lot of revenue, we want to have the capacity to have our say on the process. Also, we believe that it's important that this is accompanied by an attractive competition based on sporting merit. Sure. Listen, listen, fucker. You are guaranteeing yourself to stay in the competition. That's not sporting merit, you dipshit. That's the literal opposite of it. The absolute opposite of it. Um, we are the defenders of maintaining local leagues. Yeah, whatever. Um, because if the big clubs don't have these resources, football will be damaged. There will be uh, institutional harmony and a willingness to think about all of this. I mean, it's it's the biggest load of delusional bullshit I have heard in a sporting sense in, in an incredibly long time. I mean, the, the fact that him and Florentino Perez are so detached from reality. Um, I think what they're looking at, it's simply down to money. Obviously, this is purely about money. It has nothing to do with the sport. They don't give two flying fucks about uh, the health of the sport. It's about money. And they realize, given the pandemic, that the Brit- uh, British, the Spanish government, isn't going to bail their ass out. They're not, they don't have the funds to buy the training facilities from Real Madrid for a dozenth time <laughs> to clear their bankroll. And Barcelona knows that the Spanish government has no interest in helping them, given, you know, the whole Catalan stuff. So it's utter crap. And Juventus, well, Agnelli, you know, the less I think about those pricks, the better. And for them, it's just they saw what the season has brought in Italy and they just want the guarantee of the money. That's all it is. Um, and And so... To, to see statements like that, I don't want to hear anything anymore, self-righteous Barcelona fans out there, about how much you care about community, about human rights, or anything like that. I, I don't want to hear your sanctimonious, self-righteous bullshit anymore. It's, it's, I'm done with it. I am so done with it. Uh, because that's all it is, is bullshit. And, um, you know, Atletico was a weird one to be thrown into that mix, but it's probably, like you said, if you look at like a Tottenham or an Arsenal, you're not guaranteed to play in the Champions League. So this is a way to guarantee the revenue, even though Atletico is guaranteed to play in the Champions League pretty much. Uh, they're unlikely to drop out of the top four in Spain, but it, it's just, it, it's absolutely dumbfounding me how incredibly tone deaf these people are. It's just, and they're not, it's not even like we're talking about foreign Chinese investors who have no connection to a local community in that sense. We're talking about people from the local community that grew up in the local community that have now bought into the illusions of grandeur of what their clubs could or should or possibly be in their minds. So, yeah. Anyway, speaking of delusions of grandeur, don't we need to talk about Schalke? Oh, yes, we do, Matthias. Oh, yes, we God, do. that was a good segue, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I was I was uh, uh, still a bit fired up about the uh, Laporte statement because I was just, you know, how, how dumb does he think we all are? 
You know, honestly, uh, this trickle-down economics bullshit, it just never freaking works. So uh, just just save well, it. Especially not in sports. No. It really doesn't ha happen in sports because you are containing the revenue just to yourself. That's not like, what, what was that article? I think it was, was it on The Athletic? I forget, or New York Times, that it that Dortmund almost have a moral obligation to sell Erling Holland because of the trickle-down effect of what his, the knock-on effect of the transfer. Oh, shut up. Don't don't throw morality into transfers. Give me a break. Anyway, <laughs> we are in the Schalke segment, so we better get to it, uh, Matthias. Yes, now we need to be happy again. Um, yeah, well, uh, not only happy, we need to be gleeful, to be honest. Um, uh, I know there are people out there that maybe are not as connected to the hate of Schalke no fear as I am, and I can understand that, but... Uh, uh, I really despise Schalke for so many reasons. I do not like this team and this club and their entire culture. Uh, I ugh. So um, seeing them go down in the pandemic year with no fans in the most tragic way, I think thus far they have about two wins and uh, they were sort of flukes. Uh, I think one uh, for nothing against Hoffenheim and 2-0 uh, or 1-0 win or something like that against Augsburg. Um yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> but yeah, going down away to Bielefeld, one uh, down to 10 men, not really uh, having any chances. Uh, Cologne did sort of seal their fate anyway by beating Leipzig of all teams. So, um, Matthias, to me, this was a really happy moment when it happened. Uh, I was waiting for this to happen quite a long time and uh, seeing all the bitterness and the sadness coming out of the Schalke camp just just uh, gave me new life uh it's it's just so refreshing to see and I cannot wait for them to bungle around the second division and uh, maybe they're not coming back maybe they are I don't care especially with the Bochum uh, seemingly coming up so there will be uh, some sort of review derby so uh yeah uh I, I, I certainly enjoyed that particular moment. How, uh, how did you uh, live through Schalke's demise? Well, um, a few things. Um, you know, I, I think the last time we had a longer Schalke uh, <laughs> Schadenfreude fest, I had a few tweets from people saying, listen, you know, can you not do that again? That was just so... I didn't care for it. Well, tough shit. Um, <laughs> I don't really care. I just don't care. Uh, listen, uh, as a, as a Westfale, um, as a person where one big branch of my family is from Dortmund, I hate sitting at a train that has to stop in Gelsenkirchen. Okay. It goes to that level. Uh, because ugh. now I find it very uh, amusing that this relegation comes 20 years after Schalke thought they had won the title for three minutes, <laughs> which four. was my previous four minutes, my previous favorite Schalke moment. Um, I, I will say this. I am glad, you know, you should never be glad if someone's dead. Okay. But I'm glad that Rudi Asawa, who helped Dortmund lift the European cup. Okay is didn't live to see this because there's something about the man that was oddly likable. It's just because also he, he was a big part of Dortmund history uh, before he became a huge part of Schalke history. Um, and to, to have them fall to pieces like this after a decade 
of bad decisions and mismanagement. It, it brings, I don't know if joy is the right, it brings levity and hope for a better future. I mean, the fact that they got relegated the same day the Super League fell to pieces and Leipzig lost, I totally forgot about that. Uh, it was just like, oh, this is an awesome day. This is what good days feel like. <laughs> um, we almost forgot about that during the pandemic. Uh, but no, it was it was an awesome moment. Um, like when Kaiserslautern got relegated, that bummed me out. When Hamburg got relegated, honestly, it bummed me out. I know there's some people who enjoyed it because of the stupid clock they had. <laughs> um, but with Schalke, they fucking deserved it. You know, I'm sorry. This wasn't uh, unlucky. This was calculated mismanagement for too long. And to those Schalke fans who attacked the team, how dare you? You were complicit in the egomaniacal bullshit from this club and from Clemens Tönnies. That is einer von uns. You know, he's one of our guys. You were complicit in this entire thing. When Gazprom came in, you, that's, yeah, there were some protests supposedly, but honestly, nobody really cared. The pomp, the, the showing off. Um, the, 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 this, um, arrogance of the luck season, the fluke season under Tedesco, where you finished second. And I still don't know how that happened, uh, of saying, oh, we're a great club now when you were just trash. Then you just got lucky that everybody else was trash that year, except Bayern. <clears throat> it just, I thought it was great. I'm glad they got relegated in that sense. Is it a loss for the Bundesliga when teams like Leipzig, Wolfsburg, maybe Leverkusen, Hoffenheim and so on are a part of it and a club like Schalke isn't along with other clubs I can name that are down like uh, Hamburg or Kaiserslautern, Kickers Offenbach, uh, Oberhausen, Essen and so on? Of course it is. It's a loss in general to the Bundesliga, but I'm not going to cry over it. You know, I mean, if Bochum come back up, we're good. We've got another Revier club up here um, and a significantly more likable one. Uh, and then on top of that, I think it was uh, Mukoko's last non-senior team game. He scored, you know, a hatful of goals against Schalke. I think it was the under-23s or the under-19s. I can't remember. And he was racially abused by Schalke fans because Gelsenkirchen is a trash city full of trash people. And as such, like, nah, go down, go down in flames, Ideally, you don't make the licensing requirements next season. You drop down in the Regionalliga West. You get to go to the Preußenstadion in Münster and watch them beat you. That's <laughs> that. That would be fantastic. Ideally, Preußen Münster get relegated. Uh, get sorry, get promoted before then. But that's not going to happen because Dortmund's second team is absolutely running away with the Regionalliga West. But I was really happy about it. They absolutely deserve it. And I'm sorry, the fan base in Germany deserves it too, because of that type of behavior. Good luck. Have fun down there playing against Jan Ringsburg next season. You deserve that. Yeah, no. Schalke deserve to go to Sandhausen like no other team, to be honest. And the truth is, especially if you juxtapose it with the Super League, right? Where Merit has completely died. Schalke going down, the way they're going down is 100% Merit. <laughs> you know that's you know, you're chopping out on the merit part 
because I don't I don't think not even Tasmania Berlin have deserved to go down like that because obviously they were a team that sort of got more or less attached to the Bundesliga and were lucky to be in there and obviously their relegation was kind of automatic and uh, whatnot but Schalke you know this this uh, <laughs> this this long and steady escalation of suck like like you said the 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 entire culture um it's it's just so rotten at Schalke, and um, I, I really do feel bad for for the regular uh, Schalke fans that are uh, sort of now won up by the by the people that thought it was a fun idea to hunt down the players and uh, I don't know punch them or, or something. It's 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 just despicable. And uh, there was a player that gave an interview to Sport 1 who didn't even want to be quoted. Uh, by name because he was scared of uh, any more repercussions and uh, he said we were told loud and clear that we should be ashamed of ourselves and all the players who won't be here next year should fuck off from now on if that doesn't happen life would be made a living hell for us and he continued we were pelted with eggs firecrackers went off and the situation escalated completely the fans attacked us we just ran it was fear pure fear I was just running, some of us got kicked and punched. I'm shocked and I don't know how we are going to compete in the next games. I also don't understand why we were exposed to the fans this way. In the first place, the club said that there would be a short exchange. Meanwhile, the police waited <laughs> away from that situation. And uh, uh, my former colleague, uh, ESPN colleague Stefan Oesfeld, obviously uh, covered this entire malaise. And, you know, there's, there's a quote from his ESPN piece. <laughs> That, that I don't know, I don't even know what to say, but it, it reads, local outlet VATS reported that the players were largely left unharmed and, quote, got away with a few bruises. Matthias, uh, I don't know about you, but I would never put largely left unharmed and got away with a few bruises in, in one sentence. Obviously, can't blame Stefan Oesfeld here because he's only quoting VATS. But nevertheless, just, just uh, thinking about what could have happened to some players... Uh, you know this is this is really dire and uh if if anything sort of this is the the the, the cherry on the shit sunday that Schalke are and uh, it is just so despicable and you know it really puts the bundesliga in in a bad light that that fans behave like that in the first place it's just it 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 brings smut on all of us and i don't want that here so i'm very glad that they are going down because uh, if it weren't deserved then, which is what uh, which it was, then it uh, would have been deserved then. Yeah, I think uh, Gerald Asamoa, I saw he was quoted in Kicker saying, you know, he was in fear of his life, uh, which Gerald Asamoa, any Schalke fan that attacks him uh, is, is just a piece of shit because I'm not a Gerald Asamoa fan because I remember too many matches against Schalke with him in the squad and he kind of act like a prick, um, which, you know, that that kit just rubs off on you. Uh, but he's he's a legend for that club. He's given everything for that club, and for for him to be in the state of shock that he was after that uh, says it all. I mean, as far as fan violence goes, I mean, we all know that uh, every club that actually has fans, um, you know, obviously not Wolfsburg, Leipzig, or you know, Hoffenheim, uh, has that element within it within the scene. Uh, you think about Hatta a few years ago when they stormed the pitch. Köln, of course, is notorious that way. Frankfurt used to be that way, less so. Dortmund used to be that way, a little bit less so. But there's still that element in there, especially clubs of that size that also come uh, from an area where that is 
the main and sole identification. I mean, there is nothing in Gelsenkirchen except Schalke. There is absolutely nothing for those people there. And so you couple that with the, I always say people would be more chill if we wouldn't have a pandemic because it just raises anxiety levels to an, an, a, a level that you and I haven't seen in our lives. Um, that this kind of stuff happens. Can it happen? Yes. Should it happen? Absolutely not. I, I don't know enough about the situation on the ground with the police to be able to comment on that uh, because obviously that's not really something the club has control over, even though they can coordinate it with the Einsatzleitung. I know that. They should be able to tell them, hey, we're going to be here, here, here at this and this time. And they could expect fans to act this way after you get relegated after 30 years in the Bundesliga, especially after this season and especially in Gelsenkirchen. Um, but I agree with you that it report that it was reported that you know just a few bruises. I mean, uh, they shouldn't have any bruises from coming home from work. Should you question those players? Absolutely. Should you berate them? Sure. You know because I would argue most of them didn't give a crap this season. But attacking anybody in a situation like that over a game over a game, is completely unacceptable. It's kind of like when uh, Leipzig's first match in Dortmund and some Dortmund idiotic fans attacked Leipzig fans that were there, both of them. Uh, that's unacceptable. It's a game, okay? When it comes down to that, it's just a game. Um, so I'm glad they're gone. I'm glad they're in the Zweite Liga. Hopefully they'll be in the Regionalliga or Oberliga in a few years, and we never have to hear the word Schalke again. Odds are we will, excuse me. But uh, I don't think, I don't foresee Schalke returning to the Bundesliga after one season in the Zweite Liga, uh, because I don't see how any of these players can come back. I don't see how their employer can expect them to come back after this. I wouldn't want to. They've all made enough money that I was like, it's fine, I'll just sit it out. I don't care. It's an unsafe work environment. And by law um, in Germany, if you feel that you're at an unsafe, threatening work environment, you are absolutely within your rights to cancel your work contract. So, uh, yeah, if, if I was one of those players, I wouldn't play for the rest of the season. I'd be like, I'm out of here, bitches. Yeah, I mean, does it really matter, those four games for Schalke now anyway? I mean, there will be that last one way or another. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just an all... All around terrible situation, and uh, I must say, it th this this thing took away a bit from my Schadenfreude because obviously I don't enjoy people physically getting abused. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's very uh, problematic. But Matthias, now we have to uh, come back from all the way <laughs> at the bottom to talk about hope, because that is what Dortmund have right now. Uh, they have to do a lot of things to achieve a top four finish. And like I said on the previous episode, I really hope if one team drops out of the top four for Dortmund to, to pounce, it's Wolfsburg and not Frankfurt. But uh, now we will uh, be going into this game and Dortmund have a chance, I think for the uh, fifth time in a row, something like, or sixth time in a row, to beat this Wolfsburg team, uh, a side where Dortmund traditionally have uh, always looked good against, even though they the games themselves were always tight and hard fought, but somehow Dortmund always managed to uh, 
come out ahead, um, Matthias. This is going to be an absolutely massive game. I'm I think the uh, Wolfsburg versus Frankfurt one was probably one of the best Bundesliga games I've seen this season. Um, they are a terrific team. They're uh, usually very well organized in in their defense, and uh, they have with Wout Weghorst someone who is just on fire and scores uh, left, right, and center. Uh, you know, it's 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 a very difficult season, and obviously, it does not surprise me that uh, teams that usually do not have such a big following do uh, have some profit from the fact that there are no fans in the stands. Uh, I I really do believe that that um, the fact that Wolfsburg are where they are also has to do with the pandemic right now, and that they handle things a little bit better. Maybe maybe that's just nonsense, but uh, that's my opinion. So um. Yeah, obviously we haven't talked about it in the Union Berlin game, but maybe Hummels picking up this fifth yellow booking was probably one of the dumbest things he's uh, done in his footballing career. The uh, challenge itself was super unnecessary. You know, uh, I think someone wrote if if he was a Kreisliga player, uh, we knew he had you know already some some something else uh, uh, to do on Saturday, <laughs> some other plans. Um, yeah. I, I don't I don't know what to do with that, um, but Matthias, uh, not having Hummels for such a big game uh, is uh, not ideal. Now I assume that Emre Can will uh, slot in as centre-back and uh, I feel like a bit more confident about him as centre-back right now than I do as a number six. But uh, if you look at his mistakes in the very first minute of the game, uh, that also could have basically been in centre-back position. But all that being said... Um, what uh, are your hopes from Dortmund going into this game and what do you expect from uh, this Wolfsburg team? Do you think they will have any nerves or do you think Wolfsburg will uh, just cruise to a victory against Dortmund? Well, my hopes are very clear. You know, Dortmund win out and Wolfsburg lose out. Uh, if I look at the schedules, uh, Wolfsburg have... Um, between Wolfsburg, Frankfurt, and Dortmund. Dortmund actually have the harder schedule because they're playing Wolfsburg, Leipzig, uh, Bayer Leverkusen, and they have a DFB-Pokal match in between there. So they're going to be a little bit more fatigued. And Dortmund do play um, Mainz, who are also that's in, true. in and really Mainz, form. Exactly. Really? They all play against Mainz. Frankfurt plays against Mainz, which is a derby. Wolfsburg plays against Mainz on the last match day. Wolfsburg also plays against Union Berlin. Frankfurt, though, also plays against Schalke. And they play against Freiburg. And I just think they're going to be both those teams. Um, uh, Mainz is kind of the the interesting one in there because I, I tweeted this out. I think Bo Svensson deserves coach of the year in the Bundesliga. I maintain that position, in my opinion. Uh, the other ones would be Adi Hütter and, of course, Herr Glasner at Wolfsburg. But I just think Bo, what Bo Svensson was able to do was significantly a bigger deal. Be that as it may, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult match. Um, I don't think... Dortmund are going to run away with this one. I don't think Wolfsburg are going to run away with this one um, because it's not really their style. I think Valdvikos is going to cause a lot of problems for Akanji and Chan. Not having Hummels is a huge blow. Huge blow. Um, I'd be surprised if Piszczek doesn't start it right back in a match like this. Granted, with pace and so on, maybe Moray. That's hard for me to say, but... I'd feel if if Chan is going to be on the right side of defense in the center back pairing, I'd be more comfortable with Pishek there because Pishek, he'll get beaten for pace, but he won't be out of position. I mean, his positioning is amazing. And that's really something that 
Chan needs in that support. Uh, Akanji, my fear there is Akanji is going to try too much because he feels like he's going to have to, which at times he will. And that's when, when openings happen. That's when problems can happen. Um, also because Akanji isn't Matsumuts. He's not the director of the defense. He's going to have to be. Uh, maybe harken back more to the time when he partnered with Diallo in defense, where he was the captain of the defense. So I think this is going to be very, very difficult. Can Dortmund beat Wolfsburg? Yes, they can. I don't think Wolfsburg are fragile after the last couple of matches. Um, granted, you know, if I look at their schedule, the last few, last four matches, they beat Köln, they beat Stuttgart, and they lost to Bayern and Frankfurt each by one goal. Um, which are definitely matches you can lose. I watched the Frankfurt match. I was a little surprised at, at times how easy it was for Frankfurt with a healthy Jaden Sancho, an angry Erling Haaland, and a top of the forum um, Marco Reus. I think they can cause Wolfsburg problems and damage. But I don't think either, I, this is not going to be a nil nil. I don't think anyone's going to keep a clean sheet. And I would urge patience of for the BFOB Twitterverse out there because this this match will try it. Yeah, I really do hope that Dortmund play very smartly because in many ways this is, this is going to feel a bit like a Champions League game. Uh, maybe a bit like a Champions League second leg where uh, it's 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 a do or die game and uh Dortmund I think are a bit more comfortable in this situation than Wolfsburg I think that the mental state of this game will play a major role because I think Wolfsburg really feel like they will have something to lose and for Dortmund it's always easier to be on a hunt even though tactically speaking uh, I think Wolfsburg uh they will be very happy just with a draw because if they maintain a five point gap then uh, they are golden, to be honest. So um, if Dortmund don't win this, um, I think the Champions League discussion overall is uh, completely out of the window. Um, Dortmund have tripped up too many times um, to afford now any mistakes. They don't have any leeway whatsoever. So um, this is it. And uh, I, I'm kind of excited about this because... Uh, this game really matters a lot now. Uh, we set this uh, against uh, the Frankfurt match and uh, any other match but uh now it's really do or die this is so this is really the last chance i mean it's still mathematically possible afterwards but i just don't have the belief for it to be honest so um dealing a psychological blow as well if you beat Wolfsburg, um that really uh might help dortmund to uh have them fall again because i think Wolfsburg still play against leipzig so there is some hope there that they lose this match. I don't know, because Leipzig just lost to Cologne and uh, the Nagelsmann team is not in their best form now that uh, yeah, they're out of the title race and uh, I feel like uh, they are deflating a little bit. Tension is just dropping. But uh, yeah, let's not think ahead too far um, because this Wolfsburg team is really in form i i think um the the only thing that uh that uh, irked me a little bit was uh, the castiel's blunders because he was on target uh, to be the best bundesliga goalkeeper this season um but against bayern he really uh, laid a couple of eggs which uh, had bayern who themselves didn't play uh, their best match uh, to to win that game but yeah obviously uh i think the uh the amazing part of this Wolfsburg side is not necessarily their attack, even though Weghorst uh, is getting a lot of praise. But uh, 
Mbabu, Lacan, Brooks and uh, Otavio, I think, are a very solid backline. And if you have uh, Schlager and Arnold in there in the double pivot, um, that is a more than solid uh, uh, midfield and uh, and backline. So, yeah, it's, it's just a very well-organized team. And uh, they have committed very few errors uh, this season overall. Um, I think that's their strength. I don't think that they are tactically doing any wonders. They are just uh, playing on a very high baseline. And uh, yeah, for Dortmund, uh, in order to, to crack Wolfsburg, they must absolutely not start the way they started against Union Berlin because Wolfsburg will punish Dortmund instantly. So um, yeah, this is, this is why I, I'm talking about patience here, uh, that Dortmund need to take things slow and uh, ease into the game, uh, keep the ball quite a lot, try to have uh, stints of long possession just like against Manchester City that uh, sometimes you just have to step on the ball and keep it in your own ranks, maybe to keep confidence, but also to tire out the opponent. I'm not... Um, I'm I'm hoping that Dortmund do not go gung ho in this game because I don't think uh, it's it's going to help them necessarily. If this becomes a chaotic game, uh, oftentimes Dortmund do profit. I'm not sure if Dortmund will profit if it gets chaotic this time. But obviously, uh, uh, if Wolfsburg want to make this a chaos game, they can do that by themselves because they're good enough. Um, they do also know how to keep the ball away from Dortmund if they have to. The only question is obviously uh, how. Wolfsburg's nerves will do and uh, yeah I don't know if Jane Central will start um, I still find it very hard to imagine because he just came off an injury and he only played half hour so now playing him for for 90 minutes I don't know and uh, we know historically Jane Central is a really good uh, super sub uh, he does things off the bench quite well so if you play him maybe a half this time the second half this is what I would do um I also don't know if uh, Delaney will be back. Um, I think he should be, according to Terzic, but uh, obviously no confirmation on that. Um, so, yeah, maybe this would sort of be my my uh, midfield, that you have Dahoud as uh, number eight or number six, and then you have uh, Bellingham and, and Delaney sort of uh, in, in there, and then just have Reus uh, and, and uh, Reina or Hazard and then Haaland. Uh, played a bit more conservatively. I don't know how how you see it, but uh, this is something that that I could I could see happening. That Dortmund actually do not play like they must win this game, but rather cautiously at at the beginning and then uh, bring the players on you need uh, as the game progresses. Yeah, I mean his last few seasons, and you look at it, this was actually a match where uh, Lucien Favre's approach always paid off quite well for Dortmund. That more patient, uh, methodical, uh, controlled type of uh, game that he liked to play. Uh, and that kind of kept the chaos in check, as you mentioned. Uh, Tazic definitely is way more, you know, Klopp in the sense of chaos and just go at it. Um, I don't know how that's going to play out in this one. I, I do agree if it turns into an open back and forth, then good God, who knows what happens. Uh, it can go either way with Dortmund. Obviously, if they're able to pull Wolfsburg apart in their structure and get them up the pitch a little bit more, I think Dortmund can, can destroy them. Uh, just, I mean, I, I saw what Andre Silva, how he played against them, uh, who is an exceptionally good striker, one of the best in Europe. 
and completely goes under the radar, even in the Bundesliga, from reporting for whatever reason. Um, what he did at Frankfurt against them, uh, I think Holland, and then you throw in Sancho eventually, you have Royce in there. I, th- I think it's set up very well for Dortmund. If Mats Hummels was in the match, I would feel significantly more confident <laughs> without him being in the match. I'm a little bit more concerned because when you talk about being control, that's not Emre Can. Emre Can is not the control guy. He is the runner, the hard worker, uh, the the lung buster. Um, now having him in as your center back pairing will probably tone that down significantly. If you have him in central midfield, it can it can get a little bit messy at times. But I think you know ideally Delaney is is back in because with Delaney. Bellingham and Dahoud in there don't want match up better uh, than Wolfsburg. And I think they can control the match from that point. I think they can shut down uh, Maximilian Arnold quite effectively, uh, which then cuts the supply to Vekos. They've done that in the past really well. Zava Schlager, I think, um, is he's kind of like the Wolfsburg's Emre Can and that, you know, he's kind of all over the place. Often very good player, but all over the place. And so... If you can neutralize their playmaking ability, which isn't their strong suit, that's not what Wolfsburg is known for. But if you can neutralize that, then you neutralize the supply to Wout Weghorst <laughs> and you will force them into the killer stat crosses. That's that's the thing. I, I If Dolman is able to do that, you're going to see a lot of long balls and crosses from Wolfsburg trying to find Weghorst. The key thing is... Don't want to have to be solid in their center back pairing and goalkeeper. Uh, Marvin Hitz isn't exactly a commander of his area or the skies. So there are some concerns there. Whereas Valkvikos is obviously exceptionally good in that scenario. Th- those are kind of some of the areas that I th- think where Wolfsburg um, would attack Dortmund. And Oliver Glasner is a really good coach. So, you know, He's the better coach than Tazic. And I don't think Tazic would necessarily disagree with that. Uh, also based on just experience alone. So it it's poised to be an exceptionally good match that hopefully has the right outcome, but doesn't necessarily mean that it will. Yeah, I mean, one one word uh, about Marvin Hitz, because uh, we've criticized him a ton, but uh, against Union Berlin, uh, I thought that his... Uh, Set piece defending and him coming off the the line and claiming a lot of uh, balls uh, was was really good to see and in that sense I think uh, we really do need that against Wolfsburg as well um, and yeah I mean sort of uh, playing over the wings always has been uh, Wolfsburg's strength so um, I sort of expect that um, especially um, if Otavio is coming back and. Uh, I think that that should give uh, some more uh, freedom to to Baku or or Gerhard. I don't know if Maximilian Philipp will play. Um, that's a possibility. And if he would play, it would probably more like in the ten position or a bit behind Vekos. Um Would make sense considering. I think I I assume that Wolfsburg will play a bit more on the uh, counter attack, and obviously they can rely on their pace because they do have a lot of pace. Obviously, Vikos is not the fastest, but the the guys around him are pretty quick. Whether it's uh, Baku or uh, I, I think Ger- I don't know if Gerhard is the fastest guy, but uh, Philip definitely is uh, very quick. We know that, and he has a very good shooting technique, so he can also uh, score 
from outside the box, which is uh, something that's, uh, yeah, I dread a little bit because Dortmund are in their last ditch defending sometimes uh, not that well organized and especially now without Hummels, uh, this can get even worse. So um, that's that's really one problem that Dortmund have right now is that uh, this Wolfsburg team in in so many ways has feature has features that can uh, hurt Dortmund. So um, yeah, I, I I really hope that Dortmund prevents that as much as possible and really try to dominate this game as much as they can. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be super tense edge of the seat stuff. I'm I'm sure that uh, this Borussia Dortmund team uh, they they will do a lot of things, but they will certainly not make things boring. So um, yeah, hopefully uh, Delaney will be fit again because I I think this is a game where he could be of help. And otherwise, I think uh, our hopes do rest off uh, on on Marco Royce and and Sancho. And obviously, if if Reina or Hazard uh, decide to have a good game, uh, I'm I'm all for it. And yeah, I I I don't know if I would stick with Pischek, but uh, you know because he's not the quickest, and Wolfsburg do have a little bit more pace than uh, than. Union, but uh, yeah, I also don't know if I want to play Moray in this game, so it's it's a difficult one. Uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, what 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 are your lineup thoughts? I I think my first name on the team sheet right now is Bellingham, and from uh, and obviously Haaland and Royce, and then then I go from there. Yeah, I mean, ideally, I'd rather have Buki in goal, but for some reason, that's just not going to happen. Um, you know, Akanji and Chan are going to be your center back pairing on the left. You're going to have Guerrero on the right. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I personally just like Pishek and that's nostalgia as well. Uh, Moray, maybe it, I just feel like, I feel like Chan just needs that positional awareness that Pishek can bring on the right hand side. And that's, that's my only concern there. Midfield trio, because a four, three, three seems to be the way to go. Uh, I would definitely do Dahoud. Uh, Bellingham and Delaney if he's fit uh, which hopefully he is and then my attacking trio to start with would be Royce, Holland, and Gio Reyna uh, just because he's in, in good form now if Delaney can't play I wouldn't mind seeing Julian Brandt in midfield trio um, because you'll add even more creativity for those passes and that way not everything has to sit on Dahoot but that's that's how I'd ideally set up yeah I I, I don't know if if Belling uh, if Delaney isn't fit I don't know if I would go for 3-3 but uh, if he is I, I, I would do that Um, but yeah it's it's such a difficult one so uh, I mean I'm not doing the lineup uh, big Big and breaking news here, but uh, un- unfortunately, um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm also really concerned about um, you know the the midfield battles because if we have Brandt in there, uh, he tends to to slack off a little bit, and uh, Dortmund really have to be on on point there because uh, Wolfsburg do defeat the, quite a lot of opponents by winning the duels in in midfield and then being able to transition. But yeah. I mean, Wout Vickers, just just to read it real quick for the people who don't know, he has scored 20 goals um, this season and he also has the most assists of his teams with seven. Um, second highest goal scorer is Riedle Baku with six goals and then you have uh, Renato Steffen with five and Brekalo with four. Um, yeah, uh, that's sort of what you come to expect. But as I said before, uh, 
the heart of this uh, Wolfsburg success, if you will, is their defense because they've only scored 54 goals. Uh, Dortmund have scored 10 more. Um, but uh, yeah, Wolfsburg have conceded only 30 goals in 30 match days, which is quite good for them because Dortmund right now have conceded 42. I think there's only one better defense in the Bundesliga, which is Leipzig. They have uh, conceded 25 goals. So um, yeah. Just to put it in perspective, the worst team right now is Schalke with 76 goals conceded. Um, but that's on an entirely different topic. Anyway, Matthias, um, what's your prediction for this one? Well, um, if it, gosh, this is a tough one. I mean, heart over head. My head would say probably a two-all draw. Uh, if I'm perfectly honest. But obviously, I don't want that. It's Wolfsburg. Dortmund need it. So I'm going to give Dortmund the extra goal and go with a 3-2 victory. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I've been predicting a 3-1 win and uh, I was wrong all the time, but Dortmund kept on winning. So I'm going to predict a 3-1 win again because I feel like uh, it's always a realistic result with Dortmund and Dortmund do need to win uh, with two goals or more because uh, that gives them a better goal difference than uh, than Wolfsburg. I think if they um, just win uh, with one goal, then I think the goal difference, uh, because Wolfsburg right now is plus 24 and Dortmund's is plus 22, if they win with one goal, the, the goal difference would be uh, even. Um, but I, I think Dortmund would still hold the tiebreakers then because uh, I, I think one of the tiebreakers is then who has scored more goals. That would easily be Dortmund. And obviously, uh, the direct duels between those two teams, uh, Dortmund also has one. So um, if if it ever comes to this, um, yeah, then uh, then that would be nice. Uh, goal difference will make a difference maybe this season. I could, you know, if if I'm doing the good old Tabellenrechner, I feel like uh, the end result is that both teams finish on 64 points. And thus, Dortmund do need to have a better goal difference. So um, that being said, if Dortmund can run up to score on Wolfsburg somehow, even though I don't really foresee that, that would be perfect. But um, yeah, a 2-2 draw and uh, our season is pretty much over except for the German Cup. But um, the good news is right now Dortmund don't feel all that much heat from behind because Bayer Leverkusen uh, right now are, if I if my math is correct, five points behind Dortmund. So um uh, I think that fifth place at least should be locked in, but who knows? Because Dortmund also still play against Leverkusen, so nothing, uh, <laughs> nothing really is decided yet. But uh, Matthias, it's uh, it was a pleasure to have you on, and uh, it was a fun episode. A lot of stuff is going on right now. It's the crunch time of the league uh, for us, and uh, yeah, stuff is going on in the world. And with Schalke going down, that was fun to talk about as well. So uh, please tell our listeners, unless you have any final thoughts, uh, where to find you and uh, whatnot, and then I'll do the outro. Aside from Screw the Super League, I've got no final thoughts. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk. Very well. You can find me at Stefan Motzko. You can find all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the show, then please do that via YouTube or iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc., and uh, of course, you can uh, always support us financially on patreon.com slash the yellow wall. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated if you want to sponsor an episode uh, to maybe celebrate a 
famous victory against Wolfsburg, you can do that for 10 bucks and I'll read out your name and give you a shout out, whatever you say. And if you have any questions, always send them to our Twitter handle. That's the easiest way or to myself on Twitter. And uh, yeah, everything else we will talk about next week. As always, thank you for listening and goodbye.